0: Welcome to another episode of For the Players. I am one of your three hosts, this triumvirate of hosts that you have here representing Proxima Studios. My name is Kyle Murdoch, work as the lead audio uh, designer for Proxima. I am joined by, as usual, by my co-host, the founder of Proxima, the head of the studio, the game director himself, Harvey Newman. Insert applause. (laughs) Right, 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 right. And today, before we get into our regular, this is very very different. For those of you who have been watching the first few episodes of the show, it's usually just been us talking. Uh, but we are joined by our first outside, but not really truly outside, because he has ties, as you'll hear, to the other uh, hosts on the show. Um, our first guest, Mr. Tim Campbell. Yeah. How are you all doing? First and foremost, I always start with, you know, how's everyone doing? and You can be, it doesn't have to just be the shoot the shit, you know, shoot the shit. Hey, uh, I'm good. Like, how is it really going? Because right now it's crazy. It's December. It's almost the end of the year. Shopping, holidays, all that jazz, you know?
1: It's snowing outside. It's actually like, you know, this, yeah. Yeah, well, it was snowing last night and now it's still, I think it's about to snow today at some point. I don't know. Maybe it's snowing now. Again yeah and the cars here are not ready for this like you can see cars sliding all over the place it's crazy so
0: in edinburgh because that's where you all all three are it's not Mm -hmm. only you know in in the states we have it's uh i'm dreaming of a white christmas it's always i see is it not only a white christmas always because it seems like that's a place which like always has like wintry weather but based on every time i talk well, we do the show, Chad. You always like, oh, it's so dark. So it's a dark white Christmas, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's, it's messy. It's windy and sideways
2: rain in your face.
0: Yuck. <laughs> why? Why are you all there? Well, I know why you're there, but you know, come on. <laughs> Sometimes I ask myself the
1: same. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: right.
2: Well, you get the opposite in the summer. Like the sun will stay out till like ten thirty, eleven o'clock. You know, it's like. And not what? Yeah. Because we're wow. really, really north. so That's true. Uh, I used to sometimes when I was working more of the straight gig at Build a Rocket Boy, I would come home at like 5 o'clock and I live on a golf course. And I could tee off at like 5, 6 o'clock, finish at like, you know, if it's a slow round, like 10, 10 o'clock, 1030, and there's still sun out. And I'm like having a beer at like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night watching the sun go down. You know, that so. is
0: amazing that actually sounds really awesome to hear because sometimes it's nothing like when you see the sun going down that's usually the cue for a lot of people you know most of us uh diaturnal people who you know sleep during the night um you know when you see that the sun going down it's the cue like to shut it down but if it's oh you know if it's still out you can get things done you know it's dangerous yeah it's dangerous <laughs> it's dangerous it's <laughs> dangerous this is not a Nat Geo podcast. Uh, this is about <laughs> this is about video games and and kind of giving you all an inside look uh of what we do specifically at Proxima and which obviously uh pertains to the bigger industry. And um, before we deep dive into Tim's history and you know how you all know Tim, I want to ask you all what did you play over the weekend? Like since we last talked, so uh, we'll start with Tim because I feel he's our guest, so we'll go first with Tim.
2: So I finished uh, my second playthrough of Baldur's Gate 3 on Tactician.
1: Wow, second playthrough, massive respect. And I, and I did the Tactician, Jeez, so
2: I did the hard hard setting. Wow. So that was and I, you know, it's it's interesting like I, I read somebody saying that you need to play it 18 times straight through to experience <laughs> all the content and And when I did my second playthrough, I totally see what they mean because, like there was this like big dragon fight that happens under the city that's like it's it's you know I would say the second most difficult fight to the end fight for me anyway it was, and like I totally blew through it and just missed it the the first playthrough like you know, so wow, you know it was it was pretty nuts and then like and then i I tried to play Starfield, but the problem <laughs> I'm having with starfield is uh. <coughs> I get motion sick from it. And then I went online and saw, like, it's a thing.
0: Like, what? there's a whole when?
2: bunch of people. It has to do with the field of view and, and oh. the flicker and all this stuff. And, like, you have to tweak all these settings or whatever. But, like, I can't play for very long before I want to, like, you know, I get just seriously motion ill and I have to stop. Wow. You know? wow. So. As,
1: as, if, as if they didn't have enough problems as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, like,
2: I was sort of like – I've always had this problem oddly enough it's kind of funny I work in video games like I've I like when I was in business development at Atari and I had to evaluate first person shooters I could sit and play a shooter but if I had to sit behind stand behind somebody and watch them play a shooter I would get motion sick
0: mm, wow yeah.
2: so I have to be real careful but you know usually I'm fine but for some reason I was getting really motion sick from Starfield and I was just like oh, it, am I like regressing and going back to those days? And then I looked online, like, no, it's a thing. Like, look it up, wow. Starfield motion sickness. Wow. The only VR experience I had is like when I was working in Germany at Game Forge, the, the founder got like an Oculus kit and I put it on. And um, at the time, it depends on the game. Like in the early ones where there was lots of camera movement and what have you, I would get sick pretty quickly. But I know like... I haven't played like a more recent like as people have like learned how to do vr games like the right way i haven't um tried any of that stuff i just haven't had access to a kit and i've never bought one so i i I don't know but i did have some bad episodes with some early stuff where there's like a lot of you know head movement as they were experimenting you know kind of in vr stuff
0: it can, it can be disorienting. You see all these YouTube videos of people who will forget uh, the depth and feel and, like, they'll walk into walls and stuff.
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: sure. it, we I let my mom... I remember... God, this is embarrassing i me even saying this, but uh, two years ago, we got an Oculus for Christmas, a Quest or whatever, and uh, I let my mom put it on, and she got really scared because it was one of the ones where you were on a cliff looking over, and I guess it was so real to her, she was, like, really... Like panicking, and at first we were laughing until my my daughter was like, "Nana looks like she's about to like pass out," and I was like, "Oh shoot, let me take this off." And I took it off. She was like, "I don't ever want to do that again." <laughs> she was like, "She was like, why would you do this to me?" Like, uh... yeah, it was it was it was bad. I love you, mom, but I'm I'm sorry. It was funny. It was funny initially until I uh, and also just a testament of how. You know, so you got to
2: traumatize your parent, yeah,
0: right? After years of traumatizing you, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It was one of those things. And after she took it off, she was like, "Wow, this is very different than the games you used to play, like Mario and Zelda." I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "But they they're making 3D versions of these too." So she was like, "You can have it, keep it." So anyway, Nice one. Yeah, no, I'm 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 actually so two games
1: that I'm playing right now. I'm still trying to actually beat Zelda's ending. Ganon is still getting the best of me. Um, I'm trying to teach my daughter resilience, and this is not on purpose. <laughs> so, so I'm trying to tell her, like, you need to keep, keep playing until you beat it. Like, can we play something else? No, no, we have to play. We have to continue yeah. playing. So this is what I'm trying to do. But also, uh, I'm playing Dave Dave the Diver, okay, and also I'm playing Cocoon and uh these two games have a really amazing core game loop that is incredibly addictive. So if you guys haven't played it, play it, because I don't know, like I'm trying to figure out exactly what makes this game so addictive, but going diving for fish and then putting in your sushi rest- restaurant and serving it to customers and getting money and then going back and doing it again, feels so satisfying in that game. It's so, so cool. <laughs> and And Cocoon, Cocoon is like, it feels like, a game made by wizards. I'm still. I still can quite comprehend and wrap my brain about how they actually made the tech of that game work so seamlessly. It's insane. It's really good. Whoever the engineers are for for the game cocoon, mm-hmm. they deserve a massive raise and a pat in the back because wow, it's amazing. Well, wow. play it if you can.
0: Okay. Awesome. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm still behind. Still, still trying to finish. Uh, I realized, like, especially during Black Friday slash Cyber Monday, you know, you get bombarded everywhere. So, of course, when I turned on my PlayStation, they were like, don't miss out on these deals, like 90% off games. And I was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff that came out that I didn't own. Um, And one of the things that popped up, I was about to buy Mirage, Assassin's Creed Mirage, and I realized I hadn't done the Assassin's Creed Valhalla, any of the DLC. So I went and got the Ragnarok stuff. So I'm going through that. And then I actually went back to uh, a buddy of mine told me to go play the game Returnal uh, for PlayStation that came out a couple years ago. It was really good because he was like, oh, you like Dead Space and games like that. Like, you will really appreciate this. So uh, I'm playing that. And last but not least, uh, I did uh, buy the Miles Morales, the new Spider-Man. So I, I will get to that, too. So. Uh, At this pace, uh, when you finish it and Spider-Man 3 come out, I'll be ready to talk about me playing Spider-Man 2 at this pace. (laughs) (laughs) The one that's going to be the game of the year most likely, it seems. Well, Uh I guess maybe Baldur's Gate will probably beat it, but I don't know. See, those seem to be the top two. You know? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's, it's, yeah it's, it's a I, uh, game. I
2: played about 110 hours of uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. It's the only Assassin's Creed game I've really done, and finished. it's amazing. That's my my son favorite. gives me shit because he just he's a huge Assassin's Creed like aficionado, and he's just like, right. Dad, that's not a real Assassin's Creed game. Why? <laughs> Why? Oh, but. Why? Because it's a Viking. To, like, I don't understand. Like Viking, he says it's not stealthy. It's like mm, you know, RPG. You can't play stealthy. I, I look. I thought it was awesome, and then I, you know, I tried to go back in time, and I just couldn't do it because Valhalla looks so good and right, it felt great. Where you're climbing up to those like parts to, with all the oh dubs, and then you jump off. Like I love those bits. Yeah. No, I, I went and I did loved everything it. in that game. I unlocked the whole map. I got Excalibur. I loved that game.
0: Wow! Wow. No, yeah, I love it, and I actually like it. Kind of remind me of uh, Ghost of Tsushima in the sense of you can enter a village and either raid it, which I love when you pull out that horn and blow, and your people come out and start raiding, or you really can do stuff. This it's just like Odyssey and Origins. Maybe I feel know like what that. What he's
2: talking about, but he's a purist,
0: man. wasn't okay. Assassin's Creed yeah. in his mind. Well, I like it, and I've been playing him since 2007. I played everyone. Uh, I got into it out.
2: because so. I love the show Vikings, and you know, I played oh, okay. a female Aloy just because I love Catherine Winnick. She's my favorite oh, character, and great. In, I love that Vikings, show. Vikings, like yeah. Lagatha.
0: So yeah, Lagatha. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah. So that. did you play a uh, female Avor? Yeah, you played a female Avor. Nice. Avor, yeah. 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 Cool. Um, well, you know what, uh, let's dive in now, you know, that we talked about what we were playing and talk about, you know, even your backstory and how you got into games. I, I asked you this offline, uh, before we started recording Tim. but I'm so interested. I looked down at your education and I am really, I have to start off asking the question that how does a guy who went to Rutgers... And not about records because records is a great school, but more or less what you majored in in chemistry. How does that translate into what you do now in gaming? I'm just, yeah, or or not, interesting. it does. It, it actually,
2: okay. I think, dovetails nicely, but it, it wasn't a plan, it was an accident. So it really all started that you know, I, I did pretty well in high school, I was third in my class, but um, and uh, I'm into everything like I was in the marching band, you know, I, I, I did, you know, liked all my classes, but you know, I never owned a computer, you know, it, I, I had a typewriter back in those days. So I was a pretty lazy writer because I didn't like editing right on a typewriter. Cause I'd have to retype a page and take out white out and like paint over it. If I, and type it perfectly, you know, or I had to retype the whole page. Right. So I kind of, like was in high school really pushed hard toward, well, you're, you're, you're good at STEM, math and science is for you. You're not so good at the English and stuff, right? So I started like, you know, really emphasizing, you know, math and science, right? So I actually, when I got into, I, I had two choices when I, when I applied for college. I ended up getting a full scholarship at Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute in upstate New York, which is like a really prestigious engineering school. Um and you know I went there and it was like the guy girl ratio on campus is like 18 to 1. Right? <laughs> oh in favor and of like, guys. Yeah. In favor of guys, right? <laughs> and and this was back in like, you know, I graduated high school in 1989, right? So there wasn't a lot of, you know, uh females going into STEM, you know, programs as there are now. I I hear like that's gone way way up. And they would talk about how they did all these like um you know Ithaca College was nearby and that was like had a much uh, greater, better, you know, ratio between men and women. And they were like, oh, yeah, we do a lot of stuff with Ithaca so you can like meet, you know, people of the opposite gender over there. And I was like, "Okay, yeah. And uh, and then like the last band that played on campus is Iron Maiden. Right. Which, you know, I like metal, but I'm not like a metal head. Right. So. You know, I'm just going up there, and I'm just like, well, I don't, I don't really see this as being like my social atmosphere, my people, you know, like, and you know, it's an impressive school. Like at the time, they were the only school in America that had an undergraduate clean room, you know, for like chip making and stuff. So, like, it was a really impressive school, and like, my parents were, of course, like. I had a full ride there, full scholarship, room and board, and a stipend. And my parents were like, yes, yes, Rensselaer, rinse." And I just didn't, at that point, I was like, I just don't know if I want to be hardcore engineering. Like, I just don't know if I'm cut out for it. And then the social stuff. So at that point, my only other option was to go to Rutgers, which is the State University of New Jersey. And so like that was the only other school my family was like, you know, could have could afford at the time. And I got I got some scholarships to go there. And I just reasoned that it was a big school. There's a lot of variety. So, you know, I went there and I started out in the engineering program. So I was a chemical engineer. Um, and, you know, a couple years in, I was doing really well. I had great grades, but I just like. I love science. I love what I got the education and what it did for my mind and the exposure. But I'm kind of like, I love science this way. And when I started to realize I was going to have to pick a field within like chemical engineering and get like really focused down, I just wasn't that guy. I wasn't like reading the latest research and wanting to like, you know, sign up for, you know, exp- programs to like support research and stuff like that It just like wasn't where my heart was what I was doing all the time was like I hooked up with these film courses because I didn't really know that you could study filmmaking like seriously at college and I was like oh cool and there was this professor there named John Belton who was a big inspiration in my life and he did a lot of like cinema studies and he's like you know a really well-known scholar in terms of cinema studies and film history and stuff But then he started, he did the first ever like screenwriting class as an undergraduate class. And I took that class. Right. And I just started getting into film. Now I couldn't major in film, but I could minor in cinema studies there. So what I did is I shifted from chemical engineering to chemistry, liberal arts. Cause like at Rutgers, for some reason, you get a bachelor of arts in chemistry, not a bachelor of science in chemistry. And that gave me the 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 room that I could also like major in cinema studies and I remember like when I tried to switch the dean of the engineering school like called me into his office and was just like why are you doing this you're doing really well you've got really good grades and I'm like right yeah my heart's just not in it and he's just like nah man we we need you to stick around <laughs> and stick wow. this through and I'm just like yeah nah dude it's not gonna happen you know and I so I switched over and you know, I was just spending all my time uh, making super eight millimeter films, like writing scripts. And then I got the crazy idea that, well, maybe I could go to film school now. You know, and uh, John Belton got me an internship working with Martin Scorsese in New York. So I was working wow. at Capper Productions in New York and I was just living and breathing and drinking up all this film stuff. So I said, okay, I'm going to tr- apply to the top five film schools in America. And if I get into one, then maybe like I can convince my parents to like, let me go, yeah. you know, like, cause they were just like having none of it. They were like, what You're, you you want to go do what you want to go make films now? Like we started yeah. out at engineering at Rensselaer, like, what are you doing? You're throwing your life away, you know, kind of thing. So I applied to, you know, Columbia, the American film Institute, USC, UCLA. And I think the University of Iowa, because they actually had a pretty good filmmaking program. And uh, I got waitlisted at Columbia, but I got into USC, which, you know, the USC School of Cinema Television at the time was, you know, um, I went to the, you know the Steven Spielberg building, you know, and it, it was great. So wow. I got the opportunity. I got some student loans and I packed up and I went to California and I got a screenwriting degree. Now the the cool thing about it though is, is that, you know, during my journey at film school, I learned a lot. I loved what I did there. I love writing. I, I, st- I took legal classes i took economics classes like a lot of my colleagues uh at school there only wanted to do the creative stuff and thought all the other stuff was a waste but i like my liberal arts stuff like we had a great uh Wharton legal class like learned all about copyrights and the wga agreement and uh you know, I found all that stuff fascinating, took an economics course with Art Murphy, who pretty much invented like box office reporting and variety. And like, I just, I drank all that stuff up. Right. Well, that was really fortunate that I did because of what I do now, because when I, I I just, I, I had another inflection point where, you know, I was meeting, like looking at like swimming. Have you ever seen the movie swimming with sharks? You, sh- you should see it if you've never seen it. It's like Kevin Spacey plays this like crazy agent and it's all about this like kid who's like working for him as is his assistant. and He gets like, you know, brutalized. Right. And okay. I kind of had some like uncomfortable experiences early on in my foray into, into Hollywood. And I was just like, man, I just don't think this is my crowd. Right. Yeah you know, I don't have like relatives in the business or, you know, I think to be successful in Hollywood and not be traumatized, (laughs) I, 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 I I, I think you've got to have some, you've got to have some people are looking out for you, you know, whether it be an agent or a manager or someone who's in the business and can like help steer you out of like you know, places where you can get seriously harmed mentally or physically, right? Mm. You know, and I just didn't have that. And and I, I had some really kind of like, you know, experiences that kind of like, yeah, I I, this ain't the place for me. And I, I had a buddy from high school who was in Silicon Valley working at a game developer. And he was like, oh, man, you should come up here and interview for an associate producer job at this developer i'm working at so i i flew up there and i interviewed and and they wanted to hire me and they liked the fact that i had this like filmic background because they were doing a movie monster game for virgin right which was a publisher at the time uh and uh, i was like this is great so i go to like move up there and then i learned the first rule of the video game industry It's very volatile because I showed up to go sign. I moved. I showed up on a Monday and I saw them. They're like, Yeah, come back on Friday and we'll have a contract for you. And when I came back on Friday, the the studio director sat me down and said, I got some bad news for you, kid. Virgin canceled our project. There's no job for you. After you had already, wow. I moved to the Bay Area. I was in a studio apartment in Palo Alto. I freaking knew. The only other guy was my buddy I knew in high school. Like, uh, I was getting married at the time. It was just, like, awful. So what I ended up doing for the next year is I waited tables at California Pizza Kitchen. And then I be- and then yeah. af- shortly after that, I became a valet uh, and-, and bellman at this hotel called the Garden Court Hotel in Palo Alto. And I worked there
0: for, like, you know a year and a half, right? Just What, what were you doing cars. meanwhile? We, what were you doing? You were just like sending out resumes, still trying to- Sending get... out resumes. Okay. I
2: did get a little bit of contract work for a time. I ended up working for this. At the time in Silicon Valley, there was like, you know, tech companies, game companies, and then there was this thing called CD-ROM Multimedia. And if you remember <laughs> the game Mist, <laughs> like, Oh, yes. oh sure, people Myst yeah. People thought Mist was like going to be a genre. So there were like these- interactive CD-ROM experiences where you'd get like novels with hyperlinked text and stuff. So I ended up getting a job for this uh, little company up there called Halcomb Associates. And they were doing, we were doing an interactive curriculum for Encyclopedia Britannica. Uh, and, uh, you know, some that other projects like exciting. that. sounds very exciting. Yeah. Well, the cool reason why I got that gig though, is because I knew how to use the, um, the avid media composer because i learned how to cut video on it oh wow and I my job that. there was i was crunch, you know cutting and then ultimately crunching uh you know video clips that you'd get off like vhs or you know uh that those big videotapes that i forget that you were getting higher fidelity like news organizations used and i was like getting that video and trying to get it to run on like a RAID drive. RAID drives are like this brand new thing. And I yeah. was like the only wow. one who had one, but had to get all that to work on like a 386 processor back in the day. So, like, we literally couldn't get it like the frame rate down enough where it wasn't crashing the app, which was in Macromedia Director. So then I was going into COSA After Effects. This is before Adobe bought After Effects. And wow. I was like, if there was like a sky, there were all these like gradients of blue. And I was just like washing them out to like one color of blue. Right. So the video would like, you know, compress and run. Yeah, it was, it was pretty nuts. So it was, it was a great experience, but that was like, you know, I was like, I was on the project for like three or four months and then cut loose and, you know, had to go, you know, finding something again. Meanwhile, I'm like, you know, parking cars and waiting tables to just like, you know, make ends meet, you know?
0: What what did your parents think about, like, at that point where they just like, see, should have stopped? Well, to-
2: they and myself, it's like, oh, my God, what have I done? You know, I right. remember my grandmother who, she, don't, she never called me. I would always have to call her. We had a very close oh, relationship. Oh, boy. When you get the but call she, from grandma,
0: okay. But she would
2: call me up and she's like, and this is, you know, she's from Boston, you know, Boston Irish. And she'd be like, when are you going to stop wasting your life out there in California? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like. Yeah, I don't know, grandma, you just got to trust that I know what I'm doing, right? And then I got lucky one day. I I saw an ad in the Palo Alto Weekly, which is like this like newspaper in Palo Alto, California. And I'm flipping through it and there's like this woman had put an ad in there saying she was looking for an assistant to do like video game licensing stuff. And she it turns out she had had this big job at Sega. Uh, working on Genesis like she was in charge of like all like the intellectual property licensing relationships at Sega and she had like kind of transitioned to like work from home and like hired me you know to like help her out you know and uh it was like me and her and then one other person came on I worked there for a good while and uh we had a client he was an amateur golfer at Stanford University named Tiger Woods
1: wow what you met him
2: I never met Tiger, but uh, I worked, you know, with his people and we brokered the company. uh, I helped uh, brokered the the deal with Electronic Arts to do Tiger Woods golf golf and started that whole thing. And that was that was like postgraduate education for me because I got to learn this like thing about like. Intellectual property rights and then pitching publishers. And there were 13 publishers at the time that bid for the rights for the Tiger Woods. And EA didn't even have like the number one game in golf at the time. Sierra did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was like fiercely competitive. And then, you know, we helped broker that deal and set that up. And then as a result, we got a lot of work either looking for intellectual property rights for publishers or representing brands into publishers. So like, for example, you know, Activision, I worked for Activision for a bit as a consultant. And, you know, I came up with the idea to use the Soldier of Fortune license for the Soldier of Fortune game. Nice. You know, because they were looking for different stuff and Soldier of Fortune was a client of ours, actually. It It had just become a show... It was Jerry Bruckheimer's first foray into television Was to do this Soldier of Fortune show uh, I think it was Michael Dudikoff was the star of the first year The second year, Dennis Rodman was the star of the show You can
0: go <laughs> look this up, right? <laughs> that must
2: have been interesting and, and so when I first pitched the producer at Activision They are like, you want to do And this was Raven's Game, right? And they were like, you want to do what? And I'm like, no, 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 dude don't look at the TV show. We have the underlying magazine rights. And that's like fits the vibe that you're looking for because, you know, the Bruckheimer company was really smart when they licensed things for the show, they would make sure they locked up all the rights. So we didn't just have the rights to all the IP in the show. There were the rights to the IP to the magazine. And when Activision, you know, saw that they were like, oh yeah, this is really cool. And it kind of fit the vibe and and then, yeah, we did, we, that was a, a historic, uh, you know, thing and that franchise carried on. So I started, of had a knack for like listening to creatives, figuring out like what, like they were looking for that really made, that was authentic for what they were doing and then going and talking to business people and trying to, you know, set up arrangements. So, and that's really what I've done my whole career is I've been able to move from like the studio environment to the boardroom and back, right? And <laughs> and bridge the gap between those two worlds, between business and and game makers. Wow. But that's wow. where it all started. That's how I learned how to do it was doing that. And then eventually I I left that to go work for um, Atari Infogram and, and started in licensing and then worked my way to biz dev and then production and, yeah
0: how did you meet these two uh yeah and so, what can you tell um, me about these two gentlemen that i that that, that they would never yeah. tell <laughs> you know everything so <laughs> let's see you know everything
2: i remember meeting the first time i met harvey quite well because um i remember walking him around the city and we went up to the edinburgh castle and then yeah. we eventually ended up at the arcade whiskey and haggis where um yes. You know, because we did this thing, we made Harvey eat haggis on his first trip to
1: Edinburgh. Oh so. my god! It's true. It was great. It was with, glorious, it was and
2: he got the whiskey sauce option, as I recall.
1: I did. I you? did because we talked a lot about, about basketball, basketball, and I was very, very impressed with how much basketball knowledge Tim has. He's a, a avid Celtics fan, or I he am used a to huge be. huge Celtics fan. And yeah. he, he schooled me. Oh, and I I thought thought I knew a lot about basketball. basketball. No, No, not really. Wow. Uh, I was
2: also a sports broadcaster when I was in college. That's one of the things I did when uh, I was in undergrad at Rutgers. I joined the radio station, and I did it because I wanted to have my own radio show where I could, like, play records I liked and talk talk about them and stuff. So you did play-by-play? or color so, commentary. No, I didn't do play both. by play, but like no. I had to join another department if I wanted to have my own radio show. Right. So I joined the sports department and I ended up getting to do color commentary. So nice. I worked with this guy, Brian Reagan, who was a really gifted play by play guy, and then I okay. was doing color to try to bring analysis and give him a break because, you know, <laughs> when you're doing play by play on the radio, it's like you're doing a lot of talking. Yes, and then, I would also, um, when I didn't go on the road a lot, so when I wasn't on the road, I'd be back in the studio and I'd do the halftime stuff to, again, give those guys a break. So, yeah, that was cool. Wow, man. I did once, though, when I went back to an E3 a few years ago, I was at the game in uh, you know, Staples Center Dang. when Kendrick Perkins like fell and broke his leg, where it was like neck oh, nice. and neck and neck you know and it looked like the celtics might actually like pull off another shocker oh this is the, then, like, the
0: kevin garnett paul pierce era yeah, so yeah, yeah, it yeah. was yeah. the second yeah.
2: time the second time around like they had won the championship the year before yeah. this was them in the finals and it's the only time i've ever been to a finals game in person which was a real treat you know i was just i had it i had an extra free night when i was at e3 and i was just like i went to a reseller and i'm like I can get a ticket. I could go to the game tonight and see the Celtics play LA in. I got to do that. Right. So I did. And and again, I was keeping a low profile, but like all the people around me started to figure (laughs) it out. Right. And they were all just like, yo, you a Celtic fan. And I'm just like, (laughs) yeah, but I was being respectful. I wasn't, you know, and then like when Kendrick Perkins went down, he broke his leg, like in the game, like brutally, you know, and then like the game just, you know, it was kind of tight up to that point, and then when and then he went it was down, just... you know, like Kobe took over, and it was just mm-hmm. – it was, it was over. They all started to actually have some empathy for me, you know, because they were just like, <laughs> uh, you guys are warriors, you know, I'm like Laker fans being nice, you know, it's like – yeah. It, so it was kind of nice in the end, but I was
0: a little scared going because I was like all by myself, and I'm just <laughs> like <laughs> – You would just take a sip of your beer every time the Celtics would score like – yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Instead like, yeah. of like
2: I was there in spirit, but you know Yeah. I I That's wish, funny. you know, it's like you know, I it was so tight and you know, who knows the Lakers it's just sad when like something like that happens and like yeah. you know, it's like they just kind of steamrolled after that. But uh, you know, it was great. I, I love getting to see them in person and Paul Pierce is like one of my heroes. Love
0: that guy, the truth. Yeah. So, I, I don't anyhow. want to turn this into a sports show, but are you yeah, a Patriots yeah. fan? And and especially uh, yeah, this year? Yeah, I mean,
2: you know, I was. But, I mean, you got – here. here <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. When I grew up as a kid, it was rough. Oh, yeah. I'm a Bears when fan, William, so I, I know I was, it was rough. When William Refrigerator Perry ran in that touchdown, like, the <laughs> next day at school, I just got brutalized. Or, like – When the Bill Buckner incident, I was in high school when Bill Buckner, they lost to the Mets. And I went to high school in New Jersey, right? So the whole school is either full of Yankee fans, you know, who all Mm -hmm. become Fairweather Met fans. Right. Right? And it's like, what are you going to do? Cry like Calvin (laughs) Giraldi? Yeah, dude. That was brutal. It was brutal for (laughs) years. and, And now we're the evil empire because, like, Patriots are winners and... Celtics yeah. are have have come back and you know shown good teams mm-hmm. and the Red Sox have now won some World Series so like mm-hmm. now all of a sudden Boston is the town but when I grew up we were like the underdog you know people love to make jokes so anyhow I was the studio head for a company called Build a Rocket Boy and we had the good fortune of uh, recruiting uh, Harvey out of uh, Dice in Sweden mm-hmm. I think at the time if I yep. remember correctly and yeah so we met on the his on-site in-person interview at David gotcha. Haggis so that's what we did yeah exactly. <laughs> that was part of was joining nice that, well, that was funny. part of joining we didn't yeah have to, but we just took him <laughs> to I a know. place that that's their specialty and you know he exactly he, he was down for it so and nice. uh
1: how can you say no to to uh, out to, to a company after that especially with Team's charm and stuff I was like man this company's gonna be amazing he took you
0: to a barcade oh. in Scotland that's awesome dude
1: see that's what i mean like the team is good at his at his job he's really right. good
0: <laughs> okay man i love i love just you know hearing about how global the impact not only of games but everyone's like uh you know stories and stuff are, and how you can go from chemistry to working in games to what do you do now at the company you're at now Tim. so
2: i'm a principal at a at a boutique uh strategic and m a advisory called strategic alternatives Okay. Uh, it was founded uh, back in the late '90s, early 2000s by a guy named Bob Wallace. He's pretty much a legend in the games industry. Um, I met I... him like literally just before he kind of started this company. He was hey. the chief strategy officer at a studio called Ensemble. They made a game called Age of Empires. And oh my God! He goodness. was There, he was in charge of their business uh, stuff. And, you know, he brokered the deal between Ensemble and Microsoft to, you know, for Microsoft to buy the studio. And that was like a pretty big deal back back in those days. But uh, after that deal was done, uh, you know, he, he, he's one of the few people that didn't get to go and get a job at Microsoft afterwards. They were like, yeah, yeah, we got this. <laughs> so he left. And uh a bunch of developers kinda approached him and were just like, Hey, we like what you did there. Can you help us? So he built mm. a, a practice uh helping founders of small companies, you know, with the business side of things, right? Because the the weird thing about this business is most people get into it because they have a passion about gameplay or animation or coding or whatever. And then, you know, they get the drive to like, you know, start their own company and then they realize They have to know things like leases and publishing (laughs) agreements and equity financing. And so Bob has over the years been that kind of coach leader, mentor, advisor, helper to help these talented creative and technical people like also make good business decisions. And, you know, we've had, you know, dozens and dozens of clients over the years. So, So recently, for example, we, a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a company called System Era that got bought by Devolver. They make a game called Astroneer. That was a client of ours. You know, last year mm-hmm. we helped Boss Fight Entertainment um, get sold to Netflix. We helped um, Spry Fox, Dave Edery's company, uh, also become a Netflix studio, and we helped another studio called Smoking Gun Interactive um, become a, a keyword studio. So. But many of these relationships, that's kind of the end of the, you know, the end uh, game. But most of these companies, like Systemera, um, the other partner at the company is a guy named Rise Deckel. Um, he met them like eight years ago at a PAX West when they were like four people, you know, and he, you know, went with them on a journey for, you know, eight years, I believe. And, you know, now... Um, is able to help them become part of the Devolver family. So that's what we do. We help companies that at any stage, but we can, you know, be there right at the beginning in a lot of cases, and then help them on this journey. Um, take advantage of opportunities, solve problems, expand their networks. You know, uh, develop a strategy, execute on the strategy, and help grow the companies, grow their enterprise value so that they have an opportunity to, you know, become part of a bigger organization and, and get to do, you know, even more exciting things because they get to be part of a, you know, much larger organization with greater resources. And, you know, we've had a lot of success doing it over the years and it's really enjoyable work. Like it's in your blood or it isn't. Like it's, it's like, I kind of like being in this business is a calling, right? Because if you do it because you think it's a great way to make money and you know, you can certainly, people can make money and you can make a great living, but it's not an efficient way to make money because you're going to (laughs) have, you know, you know, it's (laughs) like you're going to spend like if you average out like the amount of hours you spend doing things and what you get paid over time, like it's not a pretty, it's not a good return on investment in terms of the amount of time and all the things you got to learn and all the, you know, you fail more than you win, right? Just like any yeah. other entertainment or creative pursuit, right? You're going to have way more heartbreak and setback. But, you know, the wins are sweet and the people that you meet are cool. Like, and the the imagination that game makers have and being there, like, when literally I've been parts of projects where I've literally been in the room where a conversation happens and someone floats an idea in a conversation and then some years later, a product ships, Ew. right? When you get to be literally part of that, or like there are games out there that have been made that I pitched as like, hey, we should do this. And then someone's like, that's a really good idea. And then the game got made. Wow. Right? Like it, like that's happened a few times, right? Yeah. Um, but there have also been like really bad decisions and really colossal failures. And, right. You know, <laughs> You, know, you don't talk about the way, those, but as much. like I, I wouldn't change it for the world, right? Like hey. it's just I got lucky, and like this, you know, talking about my experience, getting trained in a hard science, and then going to USC Film School and learning about creative process, and like the first thing they tell you in your first session at uh, USC when I went there is like writing is rewriting, and like no one had ever told me that before. You know, it's like. I'm one of these people who grew up very early on that like if you want to be a story writer you start at once upon a time and you finish at the end. Right? All right, I got to write the beginning to the end, you know, and it's just like no, you you're you can sometimes start in the middle or you start at the end or you start with the kid, you know, and then you're you're iterating and iterating and iterating and then you're cutting and iterating and so like that plus learning, you know, I learned how to program in Fortran, because at the time when I was uh, coming up, that was the language of engineering. So engineering, for some reason, used Fortran. So I didn't learn a practical programming language, but I did learn a programming language. And I learned, I put stuff on mainframes and, you know, had to run, wait for things to compile and dealt with some of that stuff. So that blend of like hard science and engineering and technology and then the business stuff I learned at film school in addition to the creative stuff, the legal classes, the economics classes prepared me for the job that I have now because I have to bridge creativity that also is fueled by technology, right? And then make it work in business, right? And so in retrospect, the training and experiences that I had was perfect. It's just it wasn't an architected or designed. It just happened, you know. Like I was just stumbling along, like, oh, doing this. But because I was curious and I I like knowing a lot about, you know, a little bit about a lot of things. For what I do, that's really good training, right? Because being able to talk to someone like Harvey, you know, I'm I'm enough. Like when he was the head of animation. I'm not a technical animator, but I understood enough about animation and some of the challenges he was having. I could be useful at helping him, you know, network with somebody or uh, help broker the right deal with a motion capture studio or help him on recruiting or, you know, and that was my job. I was a resource for him because when he was running the animation department there, he didn't just have to worry about animation. He had a whole bunch of other stuff. So I was there to kind of like help him with the other stuff so that then he could like get some of that stuff put to bed so he could get back to animating, right? Or helping his animators with the act of animating or the the pipeline of animating, you know?
1: (laughs) I actually, I actually, that, that's perfect, Tim. Um, I actually have, like on the last episode, I think it was the last episode of the episode before that, we talked about the difference between being street smart and being an academic, right? And I think you are the embodiment of that, where, you know, you take a bunch of different knowledge that you gather from a bunch of different things. And I'm pretty sure you even learn things from like parking cars oh, and things totally. like that. I parked and Steve Jobs' you car brought it all together times. See? <laughs> and you brought it all together in your job. Yeah. No, it's really cool to see because, uh, yeah, stories like yours are like super inspiring for people like myself because it's a reinforcement that even though you think that there's a linear path to a career, sometimes you just have to actually let life tell you what exactly is your vocation. And and I I think
2: the thing that saved me more than anything else, if I had to pick one thing, it's curiosity. You know, I'm curious about so many things. Like I'm curious about people. I'm curious about technology. I'm curious about games. I'm, like, my kids the other night, they're, you know, like, I can go deep on, like, NBA stuff. I know baseball. I know, like... I know music really deeply from like the late '80s till maybe like the mid 2000s. Like in that span of yeah, time, yeah. like you know, I can I can this throw is true. Down. We
1: talked about we talked about hip hop as well on that dinner. Oh wow, What? yeah, yeah, hundred percent, guy. We talked about hip hop, and I was like, man, team is cool.
2: Yeah, but like, <laughs> like but any you know, and and before like oldies from my parents, but like yeah, like I, the generation gap has definitely hit me because you know. I like Taylor Swift, but I couldn't name a Taylor Swift song to save my life. Oh, really? Tonight, you know, yeah, yeah. So probably I start to drop off a cliff in like you know mid two thousands, late two thousands, yeah. and you know like I I get real spotty after that. You know, see.
0: So. Yeah. Wow, man, you 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 know the, the idea usually like in just in life they always say like um you know, you're only using a fraction of your brain power and all that stuff. And always think about people left brain versus right brain. I feel like just hearing your story, Tim, man, you're using a lot of facets of your brain. Like you're, cause you just talked about the creative aspect and I'm more of a creative and usually that life left, left brain stuff, the more pragmatism, the, the business stuff is usually, I'm so averse to it, but I love the fact that you said you're curious, and which makes sense that you majored in chemistry as science because, you know, scientists it always boils boils down to at least what I know, curiosity. And I think that's just so cool, man. I yeah, um, well the the cool yeah.
2: thing is is like it's it's I always thought like, oh, I'm good at math and science. I'm not mm-hmm. so good at like humanities or arts, so I'm not that creative. <laughs> And then it wasn't until I got to college that that started to change for me. And it was a great, I can remember I took, because I was curious, I took an expository writing course, the most boring form of writing, right? And I had this really great teacher and it was also the first time I ever got to use a word processor. So all of a sudden what I discovered was the big barrier to writing for me was that I was lazy. I you didn't just like, like retyping pages. I didn't like rewriting man. pages like my hand, you know, but when I suddenly got to use Word Perfect on a PC or like, you mm. know, uh, Mac writes on Mac classics at the, at the library at Rutgers, all of a hey. sudden I loved writing because all of a sudden, like I could like fix things and rewrite. And right. I got into this expository writing class and this teacher, I, ca- I can't remember her name. She was just wonderful. We would do all this reading and then we'd have to write these like, you know, compare and contrast or analyses of what we what we read or explain things to the class or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like I was like she was calling out my stuff and like having me read what I wrote to the class and she was really encouraging. Right. And it just kind of pushed me. And then when I got the opportunity, like, well, I'd never other than like when I was in grammar school, I'd never written anything creative. And then with the screenwriting course, I remember I was like staying up late with the um, you know, like my the people on my dorm room floor. Right? And I was like, "Oh, should I really try this?" cuz I was kind of scared, you know? Like i have never done anything and like you have to like write something creative and then everyone else has got to workshop it and tell you what they like and don't like and like, you know, I was all scared. And they're like, "No, nah, man, you got to do this." And it was great. It just like it it opened a new door for me. And I fortunately I had people who were encouraging me to take that leap and getting that experience of like grappling with creative stuff and like having to create and like do something original, like to graduate from USC film school at the time, you had to write an original screenplay as a thesis. And it, then that had to be submitted to a panel. And that's what determined whether you graduated or not. That was wow. like really scary for me you know like is just it? finishing a screenplay you know from start to finish <laughs> so you know so was it a
0: full length too, or like how, how yeah, many pages oh link, wow yeah, okay yeah, feature length wow wow yeah so that was all
2: great training for me great great training and you know i i i i learned so much you know the other thing i did is that i just love making films that you know, we had to do a lot of filmmaking. We'd shoot with video cameras. But, like, I literally volunteered to be whatever anyone needed on any, any set. So I didn't just do my stuff. I was on the gaffing for like, in. everybody. Yeah. Okay. I did lighting. I did Audio. camera work. I did, you know, whatever people needed. So I worked on, like, dozens and dozens and dozens of projects. And it was just, nice. again, great experience for me. You know, like, and that's the curiosity I found all yeah. aspects of filmmaking interesting so I did everything I could awesome
0: Harvey I don't know if you all had anything else you wanted to ask but I was gonna ask like pretty much what I usually always finish off as far as my last question um to Tim if that's okay no no, no go, one, ahead, one, go ahead go out one thing one thing, and,
1: and this is mainly to do with the relationship that Tim and I have, have had after working together, built a rocket boy because of Proxima and all that stuff. Tim, like, so for anybody out there, just like myself, that actually wants to actually start their, uh, their own, you know, games studio and all that stuff. As, as we talked here, there comes a time that you actually need help because this is not... No matter how much you think that you can do this by yourself, you need help, right? So what kind of advice would you give them from the perspective of where you sit on when and how should they come to a place like Strategic Alternatives for help?
2: Um, well, I mean, what we do is we help business owners. So anyone who wants to start a company... Um, you know, that's kind of where we get involved. So we, we, we can get involved with people when they've already started their company and they're running and going, or they're thinking about starting a company that that's what what we really specialize in. So, you know, they can come to us and, you know, at almost any stage, like I'm happy to talk to somebody, like if they're just thinking about starting a company and they want to know like what's involved, what are some of the first things you got to do? Like, It's funny. I was talking to, I won't name names, but a studio contacted me uh, because they're currently an internal studio and they're, they're with a publisher that, you know, it's, it's a bit challenging and, and they need to, you know, start up new somewhere else. Right. And we're looking at the different paths and, you know, he was asking me my advice. And just when I talked to him about what he wanted to do, it's like, it didn't really sound like he was up for like being this like independent studio entrepreneur, raising money. He just wasn't that kind of guy. So really what the, you know, he's not up for that particular part of the journey. So we need to pursue a different strategy than that because he just wants to make games. He doesn't want to have to do all those other things. Like for example, that you're having to grapple with, with Proxima Harvey, he's not up for that journey. And there's no one there's more than one way to you know get to where you're going so we have to like explore different avenues and different options so that's part of my job is like when people say oh i want to do i have this vision right this is what i want to achieve this is where i want to be helping them understand well these are the different strategies that you could employ that will give you a chance to achieve that vision and here's what's involved with each of those different pathways, right? Because like, going for equity financing, or publisher financing, or starting out, you know, as an internal studio, as an employee, as part of an organization, all have different pros and cons, and different uh, hurdles, and and opportunities, and challenges. So, my job is to help people understand all those options and what's involved and what they're going to have to do and have to be up for so they can make an informed choice that fits with who they are right
1: exactly and 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 just and this is going to sound like a, like an ad but i genuinely mean this because TMS helped us so much behind the scenes but genuinely like This business is much more vast than even I thought as a developer a developer of 20 plus years. There's many, many, many spinning plates. And if you are a developer with experience or no experience, and you just want to go into making a a game in a studio and you just think that it's about making games, unfortunately, it's not that simple. So what Tim has done for me, specifically for us at Proxima, is highlight some of the things like the blind spots, right? The things that we don't see, the things that we should expect, the things that we might not see coming coming and he does this in a really good way cuz he's very thorough and direct but not in a way that kind of scares you away anyways right
0: man what what a journey uh and you know the last thing i usually have asked on the show the the three episodes we've done prior to this um <laughs> i say in another world if you weren't doing what you would you're doing now tim you would be a you fill in the blank and I had some suspicions about what you could say based on the last, Uh, all we talked
2: about. (laughs) I mean, my latest passion, as people can see, is, you know, the thing I do as my hobby is I love to sing and play music. And when I was younger, uh, I had the good fortune. Like one of the things my high school was really, really good at was, uh, was band. We had a great band and I was in marching band and jazz band and concert band and orchestra. Like I was in every flavor of band you could be in. I was a horn player and I got quite good. And we had just, our band director was this guy named Daryl Bott. He was one of the most inspirational human beings I've ever met in my entire life. And he just recently passed away. And he had such a profound influence on me, both as a, a human being and a love of music, but also just learning to like try to go do things that are hard and it's okay to fail and but just get up and keep doing it put everything you got into it you know like he was a father figure for me my uh, my parents were divorced when i was really young so he was it just really influenced me and you know like i sold my horn in um in college just because i my lifestyle didn't allow me to be part of like an orchestra or whatever and i always wanted to get back into it and one year I got guitar lessons as a as a Christmas gift at a community college in, when I was living in Palo Alto and I, I took these guitar lessons and then I just slowly started getting into it. So I love like playing guitar, singing and recording the music and just trying to get better, you know, try to get better at guitar playing, better at singing, better at recording, better at mixing, better at mastering, you know, better at, you know, picking different sound effects and stuff like it's it's all really cool cut you know what you do on a very amateur level you know so it's it's if i could do that you know like the as a fantasy and i was good at it you know like that would be amazing you know but i know i'm not good enough to to for that to be
0: a professional calling, so well, first off, I mean we, uh, the audio team here is pretty, you know, it's just me and Johnny. So who knows? You never. I'm serious. That's you it. never, you never That's know. The next, but yep. also too, just because most people never pick. Like what I do uh, in audio, as a, as like to follow, you know, for follow up and do and fill out that uh, question. I'm curious, what DAW do you use? What do you use? You use Pro Because you mentioned I, Media Composer. Are you staying in Advent? I use, Avid? I
2: use, I use Abl- Ableton, but okay. I only use Ableton just because I got a Focus right Scarlet and Ableton came with it. So I started with that. But ah. I got a buddy of mine. I was in a band for a while with this buddy of mine, Laddie Irvin. He's one of the most talented musicians I know. And, uh, you know, he's trying to get me to... He says, "Presono Studio One is the shit. So he's like, you gotta be A doing lot. that, man. And I'm like, I feel just so like I've stuck with Ableton. I've watched so much Ableton's tutorials. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just know it. Like, now I'm sort of like, oh, really? Can I shift at this point? I got to move all my loops over to pre us, no. you know, like.
0: I, I think for you, and I mean, this, I'll wrap it up because I don't want to get into audio tech world because I could, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> for me. But I would say if you are looking, Ableton is, is great. I mean, let's be honest. Like, and as a person who's worked in Pro Tools, pretty much my whole professional life. And only because I learned it in college 20 some years ago. Uh, I would think that if you did want to explore another DAW, go to Bitwig is it's the people Bitwig. who made Ableton made it. And it's very, it's, it's like Ableton on another, like meets, uh, what is the open source, uh, that people always use, uh, un, uh, Linux. It's like Linux in that sense. It's, it's like very, like whatever you want to do that Ableton can, Ableton can pretty much do everything with max for live and all that stuff. Bitwig is that on another level. It's just, no one really talks about it as much. So oh, okay, cool. Yeah. But anyway, I, I, love to stay in touch and and you know just hear your your musical offerings man like it's yeah well, you know, the it's...
2: thing that i'm really loving right now is i was talking to somebody else I, I was looking at a game demo today from a team that i might end up working with and it has a real audio will be like really really important for this and i was hey. talking about like like the thing that i'm really appreciating from audio engineers because it's it's fascinating to me i'm not very good at it but like listening to things and figuring out where they are in the mix spatially in your mind mm-hmm. where you're listening to a sound i'm like ooh, i want the drums to be more it's like my mind goes to this very strange place where i'm trying to visualize something that i'm hearing you know like ooh, yeah the drums need to be more forward or backward or left right mm-hmm. panning into my head like i love when i getting into that and what it's doing mm-hmm. with my brain It's really, and it's weird when you slip into that pocket and I can like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm getting older, so my hearing isn't as great as it used to be. But when I get into that zone and I'm like, yeah, I really hear it over here now. That's Mm -hmm. weird, you know? like It's it's a great time for audio.
0: It is a great time for audio with spatial, Dolby and immersive stuff. Because audio for a long time was just relegated to left and right. Now the stereo image is just... It's 3D now, uh, 4D yeah, in a it's lot of so ways. Cool. So, yeah, anyway. so I love it. Um, well, man, thank you, Tim, for for coming on the show. And I mean, really, I guess if I had to do a summation of what I've learned, because every episode for me on the show, like I, I glean something for, especially from you know whoever I'm talking to. And I feel like with you, the the overarching and kind of consistent thread through this is just be curious, because um, it's led you to have a pretty successful. Uh, situation and whatever you do from from valet to chemistry to film school to working in games and you genuinely just seem happy because of the fact that you've never strayed away from that that over you know that that through line of being curious and i think that's awesome because a lot of times i know people if they don't they're not in the 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 part of the story they they think they they get you know kind of uh jaded and they're oh this wasn't for me or whatever but i feel like if you just keep that soft skill so to speak of just like staying curious which can be applicable to so many things um that can carry you through the toughest of times and the lowest of lows and just kind of keep you even killed so thank I, you for I totally co- agree like
2: I, i've been so many people have helped me Uh, in in my life and it's like when I met them I didn't realize how much they could help me you know what I mean but Mm -hmm. because I was curious and able to build a relationship then things have happened to me and then people have been there to help me you know and I think that's what's kind of saved me you know it's been great and I'm really
0: grateful for all the people that have helped me throughout my life and my career awesome well as I always say we love playing games as much as we love making them And we do this show for the players. My name is Kyle K. Murdoch. On behalf of Harvey and our guest Tim, we'll see y'all next time. Peace.